Money makes the world go round, so they say. But both are changing rapidly. Open banking, AI, digital wallets and cryptocurrencies are among the technological changes reshaping the financial landscape. While bringing incredible benefits, it's made grasping the concept of money far more slippery and left consumers and retailers with many questions. Welcome to Business Reporters, the Future of Payments campaign. I'm Georgie Frost. In this four-part podcast series, we're talking to James Neville, the CEO and founder of Citizen, one of the first companies licensed to provide payments and identity services using open banking. In this episode, we'll be discussing verifiable funds and payout. If you run an e-commerce business, an online trading platform or gambling firm, for example, how do you know the money you're accepting and paying out is from a genuine customer and not a criminal? Get it wrong and you face millions in anti-money laundering fines, get it right and not only do you stay on the right side of the law but you can get to know your customers better and create a smoother more profitable way to do business online so how do you get it right james welcome back firstly just explain to us about verified funds and payouts if you would so what we mean by verified is connecting identity to money so georgie's bank account and Georgie's fund. So she's made a transfer from her account to the business. And then when she comes back and says, I'd, I'd like to withdraw some funds from my trading account, the business can validate that the account requested to pay to is Georgie's. And fundamentally, that's a proxy of the bank and the data that they have on you. And if you look at how you get an account at the bank, you provide some real world identity, that's a passport, that's a driving license. And what you're doing when you're verifying funds from a bank or from a, a financial entity is you're using that kind of entity or, or the bank as a proxy for, for know your customer. What is the problem with the current way of working? Why is it not perhaps working as well as it should for businesses? Um, I mean, businesses follow the processes that they, they typically have in place. KYC is the front of creating an account. They get a passport, they get a driving license, extract the data from them. They try to tie your profile picture or your face to the photo that's that's on the photo ID. They try to validate that, that photo ID is, is real, but fundamentally it, it's extracting data from one of those identity documents. And then typically what will happen is they'll take that data and they'll run a scan across the credit reference agencies, the electoral rolls, sanctions lists, uh, and there's a number of those kind of worldwide to you know, almost check whether they can onboard that customer or not. But then when you go a little bit kind of deeper into, you know, kind of higher risk industries, there's an element of kind of manual process there. So nothing's, you know, nothing's infallible. You know, there's false positives along the way. Does that person match, you know, something that's on the sanctions list? Is that really that person? And that is a bit of an operational kind of headache for people, if not a headache for the consumer or the person on the other side of, of the transaction who has to go find their passport, go find their driving license, scan it, the scan fails, all of those things. And aside from that being operationally slow, it's still defraudable. People can still use scans of, of passports and driving licenses. I mean, there's a number of times where I onboard services where they go upload a photo of your ID. How do you know that I actually scanned that ID or have I just mm-hmm. took a photo of it from, from somewhere else? And then beyond there comes the problem of account rental that maybe I I, I onboard myself as, as James to a platform and then someone offers me a thousand pounds to buy that account and password from me and then off the bad actor or, or fraudster 
goes. So, you know, some of the things that we think about is really the openness of entities within the state that are trusted, reputable banking is one of them. So if your bank says that James is James, that's that, that's one piece of the puzzle. It's a good proxy for the identity of the individual. Open insurance, your insurers typically known about you for a long time. Telco, there's a lot of subsets of businesses in, in telco that will validate um, your mobile phone number, they'll validate you from you know different aspects of data and triangulating all of that together is really, I think, where the world has to go. And it's a good proxy for reputation. So if you've had a bank account for four years and you've paid your salary into it, for example, there's a transaction history that just looks like a you know, regular person, your insurance company, you've had a car insured with them for a couple of years, plus the telco says that mobile number is you, that's a much better way to ensure the identity of the individual than a scan of a purple book or a you know little plastic card that somebody could have posted onto you. And that's the kind of world that we, we're trying to move towards. But why is it so hard? to get to that world why is it so hard to implement a standardized system for verifying payments uh i mean standardized systems for anything are always hard to put in place i mean we we had a view of the world many many years ago and some of that is coming to fruition but some of it is not open banking in itself has taken years and years and years and even still there's you know divergence of standards across europe there are trusted systems out there for verifying identity you know there's public and private platforms that do this. Other parts of Europe, Estonia, namely, has a really great system for, for digital ID. And I think we've, we've touched upon this previously. The UK just doesn't like it. As a nation, we've never liked since the war having the idea of national ID cards. It harkens us back to a, a platform name. We've rejected that in the past 10 years. So therefore, we have no real way to provide digital identity, save, save kind of proxies and, and on other ways to kind of prove that. I think we've had a couple of projects over the last five years. We had Verify in, in government. Again, we've, we've touched on this before, which was then Verify as a platform was handed out to the Royal Mail, to some of the banks as, as a way to proxy your identity for tax submission and various government services. And it didn't really catch on. And then they had a, in Whitehall a fight between government gateway, that kind of blue and yellow card that you have buried at the bottom of your drawer somewhere and, and Verify and government gateway won out. But again, that's still its username, password, long number. And again, that stuff could theoretically be you know, lost, stolen, defrauded. Do you think companies fall foul of the law through deliberately cutting corners? Or do you think this is just such a genuinely complex space to navigate? I could err on the side of poor behaviour by certain sectors. We've had the banks in America, some one particular bank that was known to be money laundering for some of the cartels in, in Mexico and, and reached a settlement with the, the US over it. Again, you know, the bank's still standing, the bank's still trading. That's a wholesale violation of, of AML and everybody knows that. Large companies on large accounts, we all try our best. Failures will happen, things will kind of slip through naturally, but it depends on how well that sector is regulated. So as a kind of e-money firm, we lose our business unless we do the right thing. You know, other parties are kind of in a bit of a kind of grayer space. And that's why you do need tougher regulation to to kind of force these things to, to happen. It's kind of interesting that all of the noise around crypto and how this is kind of a haven for money laundering and bad actors when actually by scale, the old school financial services industry and, and banking has been the one that has performed more 
money laundering over the years and there's ever happened in, in the scale of crypto. So regulation obviously will help in this space, but there needs to be a solution. So what is the solution and what are the benefits that it will bring? So digital identity is really where everyone's trying to, to get towards. And you know, you've already touched on standardization. It's never going to standardize across the world. I mean, A, people will reject it. And secondly, there's, there's just not enough hours in the day for everyone to come to, to agreement. But you know, we have two good examples of digital identity services across Europe. You have the Estonian service. You have the Swedish service, Bank ID. You know, Bank ID is used all the way down into e-commerce where you, know, you, you verify yourself using uh, the kind of state app, Bank ID, and you can pay with it as well. So it's, it's all one system that's connected together. And when we were starting this business, we looked at that as a bit of a model that we could try and take around Europe where digital identity wasn't present and trying to harmonize that as best we can by using all of the institutions that can provide data on you as a very good proxy for you know, your reputation and your standing in this uh, in this online world. So I think, you know, really it's identity as a service, regulation and reputation as a service around all of that. All of it's about your online history and trying to kind of bring your real birth world identity into into the online space. So what would it actually look like to have a fully integrated system? So again, look at what how Bank ID and, and the Estonian kind of ID services and, and also you know, Indian identity, that's primarily how it works. There'll be lots of flavors of that. You can use your bank as a proxy. So in real world, it's, hi, who are you? Verify with your bank. You hop across to your bank. You go, yes, authorize this business to see my name or my name and address or my name and address and date of birth. Very granular aspects of data, possibly aggregated transaction history, possibly full transaction history. And that will depend on whether you just want to know it's it's James or it's James and his shipping address is one long street, so he's not drop shipping fraud. Might want to know his date of birth as well, just to make sure we check him on a, on a sanctions list for e-money. We might then want to know how he spends his money because he might have a gaming problem or he might have no disposable income to engage in this type of service. And then we might want to go even deeper and understand his full transaction history, so know where James has spent money, specifically and individual transactions. And that's that should all be consented by the customer. And actually that granularity of data or that depth of data needs to be managed in the right way. So businesses need to ask for the least amount of data they need to to ask for to get the job done. And that exists already with open banking in the UK and across Europe. One of the things that that bothered us in in Europe is the granularity of consent isn't the same. So you you can't break it down and, and say, I just want James Neville's name and bank account number with that singular consent in Europe it quite often you can get all of their transaction histories mm. and then people are fearful that we might overextend our reach and we're communicating to people this is all we're taking but they don't know that so you know again all this is about trust and what how you treat people's data is that going to get better regulated over time and get more grant yeah I think so and we see you know insurers are opening up and like I say you know telcos are opening up so different facets of, of data with consent provided by 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 the consumer, but but being very explicit around not overreaching and asking for too much. We touched on it earlier. Will we ever be able to 100% prove this money, this account belongs to this person? But I wonder if the question is, will we ever be able to 100% prove it and still maintain some of the sort of fundamental issues we have around rights? 
privacy, yeah. those sorts of things. Because I imagine there will be a stage absolutely where all of your information is absolutely known, or it could be. We have the potential, don't we? But will we do it? I don't think we need to do it in all use cases. I mean, in case of an e-commerce shopping experience, you're buying a new pair of new pair of sneakers, a new pair of Nikes. You don't need to know much more than the person's name and where you're shipping the goods to. In certain scenarios, you might want to know if the person's only shopped there once, it's their first visit. You might want to confirm their address so they're not, you know, drop shipping and, and stealing a card. But I don't think you, you're ever going to prove it 100%, nor want to prove it 100%. You know, in digital money, and, and, and whether it's a card or, or whether it's from your bank, there's an opportunity there to connect the dots. But if somebody's, again, account rental, they've, they've given their account to somebody else, kind of very hard to prove without asking for identity verification time and time again. And who wants to go buy a pair of sneakers and then validate themselves with their bank every time they buy one. The whole point of tokenizing credit cards and recognizing that acquirer risk was that you want someone to go buy another pair of sneakers and then they just go, yes, 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 and type three numbers and that's it. You remove friction from the transaction. But then yeah, in crypto, it's ironically, it's the other way. Like You can always prove at least that that wallet is owned by that person because moving funds or identifying uh, the ownership of, of that wallet is all private key based. The ownership of that key is the fundamental identifier in, in everything, but it doesn't say who they are. It just says that whoever owns that key owns that wallet. So tying all this together, I think will come over time. Governments clearly want to better track crypto better track digital money and connect all these things together um ultimately i think to have a wallet that you will pay for in a heavily regulated world you will somehow need to testify a real world identity to a private key and i think that's the way we'll probably go but that doesn't mean that every wallet and every private key will be attached to an identity all broadly what will the future of this space look like and where does citizen fit in we're, we're a conduit to all of the other entities that can provide identity within that that ecosystem. So, you know, the, the clues in the name, so doesn't we help you prove who you are and the source of your funds? Regulation is going to make this space easier to operate in. Some of the challenges that we get see in, in, in the spaces, well, you can prove this person is that person by virtue of, of their bank account, but is that acceptable by another regulator? So it, it's better than what people have, already but sometimes you'll get a challenge of well actually the regulator tells us that we must accept physical documents or we must have photo id or knowing everything that we've just said that photo id can be stolen can be defrauded but because the regulator says photo id nothing else matters now that's then the job of the regulators to to catch up on on the space and realize that there are other aspects of digital identity that can help somebody prove who they are. And I think you know our, our role in that space is being kind of one of the primary interfaces to those different actors uh, and individuals within, within the ecosystem. James Neville, CEO and founder of Citizen. Thank you so much. Thank you.